for the ultimate sacrifice of what Jesus did for us. Remember now, like we already said, we're the, we're the sinners. We're the guilty party. We're the one. I'm the one that deserved to die. <laughs> but because we have a Savior in the name of Jesus Christ, a perfect sacrifice, a perfect lamb, that was born a baby, that came on Christmas Day, 33 years prior to that time, lived a perfect life, a sinless life. He didn't make one mistake. It's hard to believe, isn't it? But we have to recognize who this man was. This man was a mystery of fully man and at the same time fully God. I don't understand it. I never will understand it. Maybe someday in heaven I'll probably get a glimpse of it. All I need to know now is that I receive it by faith, the fact that he was fully man and fully God at the same time. And because of that, he could become the sacrifice for me. We watched the movie last night, The Passion of the Christ, and for some it was the first time, and for others it was the second or third time. And It doesn't make any difference how many times you watch that movie. You just have to end it in a time of awesome quiet. You just cannot begin to imagine what happened that day in heaven and that what, that, what happened that day in hell. There was a victory in heaven. There was a celebration in heaven. Jesus was coming home. The Son of God was coming home. And do you know that that same celebration is there for you today as well? If you'll come to that same realization, there'll be a celebration today for you when your name is written in the, in the Lamb's Book of Life. There'll be a celebration for you because you're coming home. And at the same time, there was disaster in hell because the keys of hell were taken. They were snatched away from the devil. They were snatched away from him, and they, he had no longer had control. He had no longer had dominion. He no longer had death because of what Jesus did in the cross. Oh, it's an amazing, it's an amazing sacrifice. And as we look at the experience of the cross and what it did for us, for so many people at that time, and even for today, it was perceived as a major setback in the life of Jesus. Understand what was happening there. For those that were witnessing the event, it was a major setback. This Jesus wasn't supposed to die. He was supposed to come and set up a kingdom. He was the king of the Jews. But for them, it was a major setback. Recognize that for those witnessing this tragic event, they didn't have the perspective that we do today. We look back over 2,000 years and we see the end of the story. We see it how it ended. They were living it real time. And for them, they were seeing a major problem coming up here a major setback in their life that they didn't understand. And when I think of that, I, it makes me think about my life. How many things happen in my life are major setbacks to me because I don't see the big picture? How many things in my life come against me that come and happen in my life and I just don't understand it and they're major setbacks? How many sleepless nights? How many stressful days? 
have I gone through? And how many have you gone through? Can you say the same thing for yourself? How many times have things happened in your life that you just don't understand and they seem like a major setback? See, time has a way of giving us an opportunity to look forward and backward. And we can see how things come together when we have time that separates the events that happen. i got to wonder what people would think. Those people that laughed at Jesus, those people that ridiculed him, those ones that scourged him, those ones that at the beginning of the week hailed him and at the end of the week said, crucify him. I wonder what they would know. I wonder what they would do if they knew what was going on at the time. Do you think they would have said the same things? I don't think so. I want to talk a little bit today then about the setbacks that come in our life. The ones that are perceived, the ones that come in that, that we don't understand, that take us, that knock us off of our saddle of our life for a bit. And I want to talk about those setbacks. But in a way to do that, I want to go back and I want to, get in, I want to step in the shoes of those that lived it at the time 2,000 years ago. Understand the attitude of those people on that Passover week, beginning last week. But the attitude of those gathered in Jerusalem the week preceding Passover was one of anticipation, was one of excitement. They were coming to celebrate the Jewish Passover. And they were then coming also after watching the ministry and the life of Jesus for the past three years, seeing the miracles and hearing him teach. They really thought that the reason that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem that day was to set up his kingdom. He was coming to overthrow the Roman government. The Jewish people were one more time going to be free. They were, the, the king of the Jews was coming, and they were celebrating, and they were honoring him as the king that was coming to set up his earthly kingdom. After all, they they've witnessed Jesus, the, the healing of, of many people in his ministry. They saw blind people with their sight back. They saw lepers healed of their skin diseases. They saw lame people that couldn't walk, walk again. They saw demon-possessed people freed from demon possession. They even saw dead people raised back to life. In fact, just preceding this time was Lazarus. Lazarus' death and resurrection, when Jesus went in and called Lazarus from the dead, that was the thing that, that, that sealed it in the Pharisees' minds that we have to kill Jesus. That was a deal. Now, I don't understand it either. How could somebody doing good things have to be killed? But that was the Pharisees, that was the Jewish leaders at the time. That was the deal, that was it that sealed it. Jesus had to die. The die was cast. People were flocking to see this new king that was going to reestablish the Jewish nation and prominence once more. They hailed him king of the Jews. They shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, meaning the Lord of Israel saves. We sang it today, Hosanna. Hosanna, the Lord of Israel saves. That's what it means. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 10. We read it in a New King James Version. It says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, 
lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before him and those who followed him cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Who is this? This was the king. The anticipation was high. Our king was coming. In Luke, it says, in Luke 19, Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, all the miracles they had seen, all the things that Jesus did, all the teachings that Jesus taught, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Can you just feel the anticipation? Can you feel the excitement of the people knowing that this was going to be their day? It was over. The Roman Empire was over. They weren't going to be bound by, the Jew, by those laws anymore. They weren't going to be taxed unfairly. Their life was going to get back the way they wanted it, back under Jewish rule and reign. That's what was happening in their opinion. But what was Jesus really coming for? What was he really doing there? Did they really see the reason that he was coming to Jerusalem? Did they see God's purpose in this? No. They were looking at it from their own perspective. They were looking at it for what Jesus was going to do for them. And this is where the setback is perceived. They were looking at Jesus' purpose from their perspective, not God's. And it's so often the same way with us today. The setbacks that I have, I'm looking at it from my perspective and not God's. John records it this way in John chapter 12. He says, The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. It was being set up. The biggest setback in human history was set up. The king was coming. In Matthew chapter 21, beginning at verse 12, he says, Then Jesus went into the temple of God. And he drove out all those who had brought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He's, he's establishing who he is, and he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Even in his last days, Jesus was healing people. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. They were furious. The tension continues to build. Jesus was establishing himself as a coming conqueror. See, he, he defied all man's authority when it came to religious authority. He didn't break any laws. Jesus was a law-abiding citizen. He never broke one law of Caesar's. He paid taxes. He gave to Caesar what was Caesar's. He honored the laws of the land. He never broke one law, but he did not, he was not intimidated by the Jewish leaders and by 
perceptions of man when it came to his father's house. He drove out money changers. He didn't put up with it. He did not compromise one thing when it came to his father. He was not afraid of man. He came for a purpose. Jesus had a purpose that he was living for, and he was not going to be swayed. The point of emphasizing the people's perceptions of Jesus setting up his earthly income or kingdom and overthrowing the Roman Empire is to point out to us today that according to human understanding, godly plans may appear to us as major setbacks and failures. But in the scope of what God sees, it's all going according to his plan. That's so important for us to see, and I want to stress that today. We can learn many things as a result of understanding the significance of perceived setbacks in our lives. Many setbacks, I see four things I want to talk about. Many setbacks occur because we choose not to see what God is forewarning us about. Number one. Number two, setbacks occur from those closest to us. We'll talk about Judas. We'll talk about Peter. Number three, we live so close to the problems in our life that we can't see the big picture, so we get setbacks. And number four, the perceived setback in Jesus was the reason that he came. Many setbacks occur because we choose not to see what God is forewarning us about. This is very important. We need to listen closely to this. Jesus told his disciples many times toward the end of his life that he was going to have to go away, that he would have to die and that he would rise again. He told them. It was no secret. There was no mystery. He told them clearly. He gave them ample warnings and instruction, but because they chose not to listen or hear what he said, they weren't prepared when it happened. They weren't ready. He, was, he warned them. He told them they weren't ready. Matthew chapter 16 it says, from that time, Jesus began to show, his, show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up the third day. And then he predicts his death a second time in Matthew chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. See, I'm making this point today because we are so much like them in many ways. Jesus is telling them very pointedly what's going to happen. And when it comes down to it, it isn't really sinking in for them. Even on the night of his betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane, they still didn't understand the urgency of the hour. Matthew chapter 26, 43 through 46, it says, Jesus came back and found them sleeping again. They simply could not keep their eyes open. He left them and prayed the same prayer once more. Finally, Jesus returned to his disciples and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? The time has come for the Son of Man to be handed over to sinners. Get up. Let's go. The one who will betray me is already here. Now, do you think if they really understood that Jesus was going to die that coming day, do you think they would have been sleeping? Do you think if they really believed it, they'd be sleeping? Or do you think they would be praying? Do you think they'd be obedient? How many times in our life do we have clear direction from the Bible, 
yet choose not to believe it. We just can't imagine that God would ask us to live a life of holiness and purity. So we don't. We fall asleep. Or that God would really say that we are to love him with our whole body, mind, and soul. So we don't. We fall asleep. Or that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Or that we are to not to lay for ourselves treasures on earth, but lay them up for ourselves treasures in heaven. But we don't believe it. We fall asleep. Are you asleep this morning? Are you asleep? Are you hearing the voice of God calling out to you this morning? Are you hearing the clear instruction that he's giving you this morning? But yet we'll mock and we'll laugh and we'll say the disciples were weak. We're no different. I'm no different. I have the same warnings. I have the same forewarnings. Any setback in my life that comes because I'm not paying attention, because I'm not believing the word of God, is to my demise, for my destruction. Do you see the point of us also missing the urgency of this message at hand? We're giving clear warnings. We're giving clear instructions all throughout God's word. Why? Why do we not believe them? Why do we fall asleep? It's time. It's time to make the call as Jesus did. Get up. Let's go. The one who will betray me is already here. We don't have any idea the time that we have left. Hear the word. Hear the word. Do what the word says. Do not be caught asleep. Number two, setbacks occur from those closest to us. Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter telling Jesus he isn't supposed to die. Sometimes well-intentioned, but yet not the will of God. Judas clearly was an example of a betrayal. Judas clearly was an example of a setback. When Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 silver coins, that was a major setback. But yet it had to happen. Do you think it must have broke Jesus' heart? For Judas, I can't even begin to imagine what it did to Jesus. But then we see Peter on a couple occasions being a setback point for Jesus as well. Though Peter wasn't against Jesus, Peter loved the Lord. He loved Jesus. And I'm sure that he thought he was looking out for his best interest. But in his love for him, he became a problem that Jesus had to come up against a few times. Let's read the account in Matthew chapter 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day raised and be raised. Then, but, and Peter, <laughs> here's Peter, took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Can you imagine Peter doing that? Can you imagine yourself doing that? There's some type A personality people in this, in this crowd. Come on, I know you are. You know who you are, don't you? There's a few people here that would, be just with, that would have been with Peter. But Jesus turned to Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What's even more amazing than this rebuke is that just in the few verses preceding this, Jesus is proclaiming that Peter is the rock 
that Jesus will build his church upon. Turn back to verse 16 and 18 in the same chapter. He said, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So obviously Peter was a good guy. Peter really wasn't Satan. Otherwise Christ never would have built his church on him. So it wasn't that Peter was a bad guy. It's just that Peter wasn't paying attention because Jesus had to say, get behind me. You are a hindrance to me. If Peter could be at one moment the rock of the church and the next a hindrance to the progression of the church, how much more can we be the same thing? Some of our setbacks in life come from ourselves and others around us, even in their good intention. Here's the problem area. The problem area of Peter was his vision was not that he didn't see who Jesus was. He recognized him. He said, you are the son of man. You are the son of God. I know who you are. That wasn't his problem. And that's not our problem today. We know who Jesus is. We know it. We read it. We, we read the story. We see it happen. We know who Jesus is. The problem came when he wasn't setting his mind on the things of God, but rather he set his mind on the things of man. That's the problem. Our mind is not set on the right thing. Our mind is set on us. Our mind is set on what we see. We're not setting our mind on God. We have to realize that our limited thinking will never compare to God's ultimate thoughts. So, so best to stop even trying to do it. We're never going to think. We're never going to outthink God. It's time that we just read the Word of God. It's time that we stop kicking against it. It's time that we just understand our position. And our position is not to argue God's plan. Our, God, our position is not to argue the, God, the Word of God. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2 says, Since then... You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. When you have the setbacks that come in your life, stop looking at the setbacks. Stop looking at the problems and get your, get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes a few ways, a few days, a few weeks, a few months, a few years out. Put your long-term thinking cap on and get out of the issue of today. I'm thinking about my woes. I'm thinking, woe is me. No, woe is not you. It's the plan that God has established in your life to allow you to grow and progress like we've been talking about over the past few weeks. These setbacks come. There's a plan. Not easy. Not fun sometimes. But God has a plan. My role is to get my eyes on Jesus. Set my mind on heavenly things, not on earthly things. Number three, we live so close to the problems that we can't see the big picture. Like we talked about a few minutes ago, time provides a distance that allows us to look back and see the hand of God. See, when we can see the whole ta tapestry, when we can take a step back and see the whole painting at one time, then we can begin to see the areas of life that we wouldn't call setbacks. We would call them part of the painting. My son, our son, is a very good artist. 
and he did a pixelation drawing of Sparty, the Spartan. And when you step back and look at it, it's really very good. When you get up and look at it very close, it's a bunch of points. It's a bunch of dots. And, and I, don't, I don't know how he does it. How he can be so close to it, but yet be step back enough to see the big picture and see the whole thing, how it's supposed to come out. But that's what an artist does. That's what Jesus does. That's what God does in our life. He allows us to... We have to be in the details, and the details are important. I'm not saying details aren't important. I'm not saying your life is not important. I'm not saying tomorrow's not important. It is important. Your job is important. The issues in life are important. But we have to take a step back and see them from God's perspective and then make the proper changes in our life. Then live holy and live righteous in, those, in that perspective so that we, we, can, we can let the tapestry work out. We can let the painting be finished. Jesus understood this when he was making his way into Jerusalem and he looked over the city and he wept. As in Luke chapter 19, verse 41 and 44, it says, When Jesus came closer and could see Jerusalem, he cried. And he said, It is too bad that today your people don't know what will bring them peace. Now it is hidden from them. Jerusalem, the time will come when your enemies will build walls around you to attack you. Armies will surround you and close in on you from every side. They will level you to the ground and kill your people. Not one stone in your buildings will be left on top of another. This will happen. Listen, this is the point. This will happen because you did not see that God came to save you. Jesus wasn't just weeping over Jerusalem. He was weeping over me and you. Because if we don't see that God came to save us, that we will be destroyed just like Jerusalem was destroyed. If we would just recognize that all the issues of our life are designed, listen, are designed to lead you to Jesus. Everything that happens in your life is designed for a purpose, to lead you to Jesus. Now, one thing is designed to take you away. But everything that happens to me, everything that occurs in my life, all the setbacks that come in my life are designed to lead me to the cross. Why fight against that? Why struggle when I don't have to? When I have the desires of the flesh come up, why do I want to fight against God's plan for my life then? When I recognize that His plan is for my good, and my plan is to lead me to the cross, why do I struggle with it? Why do I fight against it? Why do I let my human flesh take over when God is clearly telling me to set my mind on things above, but yet I fall asleep? He's right here. Jesus is right here, right now. Right now, he's asking you to reach out your hand and receive me, and I'll be there for you. We must change our ways and we must live according to God's plan or we'll ultimately face the destruction and the pure judgment of a holy God. A justice that wouldn't even spare his own son. If God is so pure, if God is so righteous, if God is so holy, 
that he will force, he will make the way, he will lead his son as a sacrifice for my sin the way that he did. If he didn't let Jesus off the hook, why do you think he would let me or you off the hook? Think about that for a minute. Let that sink in. If, he made, if Jesus had to go to the cross to be the perfect sacrifice for my sin, then why would Jesus ever let me off? Why would God ever let me not have to go through what I have to do? It doesn't make any sense. So now can you see why Jesus wept over the city as he was weeping over it, but at the same time he was weeping over you and me if we chose not to receive the right way? If, he, if we chose not to receive the salvation that God's bringing to us, Jesus is weeping over you. He's weeping over you. He loves you so much. He's weeping over you today. He wants you to come to him. Number four, the perceived setback in Jesus' life was exactly the reason that he came. See, God had a plan for Jesus, and nothing was going to stop it. Nothing. What's interesting about that is that you and I, have a sim, uh, we have a purpose also in our life. It may not be as grand as Jesus' purpose. It may not be as important as his purpose in life was to save the world, but I have a purpose for my life. You have a purpose for your life. And just as, as determined as Jesus was to fulfill his purpose, I and you need to be determined to fulfill your purpose and my purpose. Jesus had plenty of opportunities to stop the whole thing. He had plenty of opportunities to say, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm bailing. He could have called 10,000 leagues of angels. He could have stopped at any moment in time. Nothing forced him to continue besides his love that he has for you and I. At any time, he could have stopped it. We also have the free choice. Understand that. We also have the free choice. But because Jesus didn't take the choice, Far be it for me then to take the choice, to bail out. I need to stick in with it as well. I need to hang in there with, with it as well. If Jesus could stick with it, if he stuck with it, I need to stick with it. When we have the setbacks in our lives, it gives us good opportunity to analyze life. Should I have done that or not? Did I make a bad mistake? Did I, make, did I do the wrong thing? Just because you did something that didn't work out, it doesn't mean it's wrong. That's the whole purpose of the, of, the, of the perspective of the setbacks. Because what you learned from that experience or a subsequent opportunity that came as a result of it may lead you on to your ultimate purpose. The point is this. The book of your life is not yet completed. The chapters are still being written. So hang on. Don't give up or don't give in, but keep on pressing on until it's over. Hang in there. It's not over yet. It may seem bleak. It may seem very hard. It may seem very hopeless, but it's not. That's what the whole purpose of Easter. It's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. You have a hope. You have a future. What was the reason then that Jesus came to earth? Was it to heal the sick, the lame, the blind? Was it to cast out demons? Certainly those were important things that he did while he was here walking the earth. But understand this. He could have done all those things without ever becoming a man. Jesus did not have to become a man to heal sick people or to make the blind see or to cast out demons. He could have done that from heaven. He could have done that sitting with heaven, sitting in the safety and the comfort of heaven, and he could have done all that 
So that's not why he came. Why did Jesus come? Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18 tells us. It says, we are people of flesh and blood. That is why Jesus became one of us. He died to destroy the devil who had the power over death. But he also died to rescue all of us who live each day in fear of dying. Jesus clearly did not come to help angels, but he came to help Abraham's descendants. He had to be one of us so that he could serve God as our merciful and faithful high priest and sacrifice himself for the forgiveness of our sins. And now that Jesus has suffered and, is, and was tempted, he can help anyone else who is tempted. The reason Jesus came to be a man was to destroy the work of the devil. And the only way he could destroy the work of the devil is become a perfect sacrifice. And that's what he did. He came not to heal the sick people, not the blind. He came to provide a sacrifice for our sins. That's why he came. Jesus was on a mission, and nothing could sway him, distract him, or make him change his mind. He had plenty of opportunity to think about it and to stop it. He had a lot of people ridicule him. Imagine this. Jesus, the creator, was being ridiculed by the creation. He was being ridiculed and destroyed and beaten by those he created. The creator being beaten by the creation. It doesn't make any sense, does it? But that's the purpose. Jesus' purpose was to fulfill the short-term, turbulent life and a painful death for the long-term goal of eternal life with those that love him. Let me ask you, can you say the same thing in your life? Can you say that I'm willing to take the short-term perspective and put it away and think about the long-term perspective of eternal life and choose that? And choose that versus the joys that I might get in a heartbeat of a few moments on earth? Do you see the significance of that? Do you see what you're risking? Do you see what you're giving up when you don't look at the eternal perspective of things? When you look at it from the temporary perspective of mankind, you will make a bad choice. When you look at it from the perspective of the way I'm thinking about what I think, I will make a bad choice. But when I keep my eyes, when I put my eyes on Jesus, and when I keep my mind set on eternal things, then I, it allows me, then the power of the Holy Spirit, then I can make good decisions. And I can make decisions that are for my benefit eternally. As we conclude today, all the pain and all the problems, all the setbacks in our lives draw us to the cross. The cross gives us a hope that no matter what problems or setbacks come our way, we win. In the end, it's the cross that allows us to win. It's the sacrifice that Jesus did in the cross that allows me to win. It's not how good of a person I live. It's not how good I am. It's not the life I live. It's not the fact that I'm an honest person, that I'm a good person. That's not it. It's the cross. It's what do I do with that cross? What do I do with that Jesus now? What do I do with him? Do I receive him? Do I accept him? Or do I reject them? God has a plan for you and me. Jeremiah 29, 11. I love this verse. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with a whole heart. The way that you can have the plans fulfilled in your life, the way God wants to fulfill them in your life, is by you taking the initiative right now. If you haven't done this before, today is the day for you to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Putting away your past, putting away the sins of the past, those things that have held you back, those fears that you didn't know what to do with, today is the day of salvation for you. Do you want to be caught sleeping? Or do you want to be a winner? Day is the today. Day, the day is today. The decision point is today. The Easter message is a, is a message of hope and a future. Second Corinthians 4 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what, we, what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So let me ask you this Easter morning. Where are you setting your eyes? Where, how are you handling the setbacks in your life? How are those coming together for you? Can you see the ultimate picture? Can you see Christ? Can you see Jesus drawing you to the cross? What do you want your outcome to be? Where do you want to be called at the end? Do you want to be a sleeper? Or do you want to be a victor? It's your choice. It's your choice. Your choice. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done for us today in the cross. Lord, for that for that story. Lord, for that life that you lived, for the amazing grace. Lord, it's beyond our comprehension the fact that you would do that for us, that you would love us so much. So, Lord, now as we come and we have the choices that we make, Lord, on this Easter morning, I want to give everyone an opportunity to make sure that they have their heart right with Christ. This morning, while all heads are closed, I'm sorry, all eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I want to give you an opportunity to make sure that your future, that your hope is based on the promise of God's Word, not in what you think, not on what you want it to be, but on the promise of God's Word. If the Holy Spirit is nudging you this morning, if the Holy Spirit is saying, this is your day, would you just raise your hand and say, Mike, I need Jesus in my life today. I need the sacrifice of Jesus in my life today. It just takes a minute, just takes a second to raise your hand and say, it's me. It's me. I need it. And Jesus will be there for you. He will forgive you of your sin. And he will set you on a path of righteousness and holiness. And then you will not have wasted the sacrifice that, that happened 2,000 years ago. I ask again, if anyone feels that nudge in their spirit to say, it's me, I need to raise my hand. I want to make sure. I want to make sure. Maybe, I haven't, maybe I've done it in the past. Maybe I've already accepted Jesus in the past. But I want to make sure. I want to know that my name is written in the book of life. I see that hand. 
I see that hand. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your integrity. Thank you for being willing to to say it's me. You will never regret the moment you raise your hand to receive Jesus Christ. You will never regret it because it is your key. It is your holiness. It is your new life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you for those that that raised your hand this morning. And thank you for those earlier that came and received Jesus already. There's new names written in the, in the book of life this morning. Amen. Jackie, let's sing that closing song, and then we're going to pray, and then we'll dismiss. Amen. Thank you. You can stand with us as we sing. Amen. For those that raised your hand, I'd like to talk to you for a minute afterwards. If you'd stick with me and just come up, I'd like to pray with you. It's not too late. If you want to pray, if you want to come up and talk with me and pray, I'd love to pray with you or so would many others here. Thank you for coming today. Enjoy this Easter day today. Enjoy the resurrection. The Son, He lives. He lives. He lives. He lives. We have so much to celebrate for today. Thank you for being here. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. One more time we come and celebrate. And we thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus. Oh, we cannot even begin to imagine the day what it's going to be like when we look at your face. We see the nail scars in your hand and in your feet. And that we worship you at your feet at that time. We thank you for that promise and that hope. We ask you now in Jesus' name, go with us now in Jesus' name and dismiss us. Go with us, Father, in the name of Jesus we ask. Amen. And amen. And amen. Thank you, Jesus.